Welcome to episode 100 of devmo.fm, a podcast dedicated to the tools, techniques, and technologies used in modern web development. I'm Ben Croker from Put Your Lights On. I'm Lindsay DiLoretto from Double Secret Agency. And I'm Matt Stein with Pixel and Tonic. And today, to celebrate this centennial episode, we are turning the tables and interviewing the hosts of the show. So joining us today is Andrew Welsh of NY Studio 107. Hi, Andrew. Hello. And also with us is Patrick Harrington of Mildly Geeky. Hi, Patrick. Hey, Ben. Thanks. Well, thanks for coming on, guys. And internally, we have codenamed this episode the Host Roast. So we're going to be pulling back the curtain a bit uh. and delving into the backstories of both of these fine hosts. And we have your consent to do this, right, Andrew and Patrick? So... Uh. <laughs> you you have you have my complete consent. You can do whatever you want. You can check the oil. You can call Patrick mildly swappy. You can do whatever you want. <laughs> you so, signed the waiver, so so anything under mild duress. But yeah, yeah, anything that stays in the show is in the show because it's been given the okay. Then I think it's fair to say. Alrighty, so who wants to get us started with a leading question? I've got one, please. So this is uh, directed at Andrew. You are gliding along India's treacherous Zodila Pass on that ridiculous one wheel thing. You're feeling the warm relief of the morning sun against the crisp mountain air dancing where your hair once grew. You're thinking about things. Can we hold? I'm not done with the question yet. You're thinking about the things you could dockerize when you collide with a machere sheep that darted away from its flock. As you're getting your buffalo jerky back into your satchel, the shepherd approaches you and says, hey, aren't you Andy Welch from devmode.fm? You grab the smallest sheep and wheel off at top speed. Now, it might just be the ganja, but the wide-eyed sheep speaks to you and says, Andrew, why would anyone start a podcast about modern web development? Am I supposed to respond to the sheep? Is that the... Is that... Hey, the sheep's asking you an honest question here. <sighs> so why start a podcast on modern web development? So originally I was doing a podcast with Michael Rogg, a craft podcast. I kind of started doing that with him and then he got busy doing other stuff. And I said, well, I kind of enjoy this. I'd like to continue it on. And it, it seemed like a, a really fun excuse to be able to get to talk to people and have them teach me stuff that they're experts in. You know, it's kind of a, a nice way to get a 60 minute mentoring session out of people. I seem to remember texting you late one night at Piers Conference. I believe it was and be like, we need a podcast together. And you're like, I can't do that to Rog. But then Rog got busy. And so the opportunity presented itself. Well, that, that previous podcast was directly craft CMS, right? And devmode.fm is more well, you you called it modern web development tools and mm -hmm. techniques. And it's I guess it's fair to say it's mostly aimed at the craft community, but not only. So what was the intention for broadening there and how did you create that focus initially? Well, at least from my perspective, I, I wanted to not just make it super niche. And I, I'm interested in a wide variety of stuff. The fact that I happen to use Craft CMS for a lot of stuff is almost incidental in some ways. You know, there's tons of other stuff out there that I'm working with and doing. So why why tie it to that? You know, at least that was my opinion. What do you think, Patrick? Yeah, I mean, I, I like that we've always kept it somewhat craft centric, just the roots of our own work on the web and, and all that. But yeah, I mean, just to talk about what happened in 3.6.3 this week, there's only so much we can get into. And, and yeah, it'd be very limiting both in terms of audience and just what's important out there because no one is building on just craft alone. Everyone's pulling in different front-end frameworks, using different build tools, struggling with different problems when it comes to the business side of things or support side of things. So yeah, I mean, I think it's, I'm happy that this didn't become the craft CMS podcast part two. Well, and also I think it doesn't matter that much. I know this is going to be heartbreaking for anyone from Pixel and Tonic to hear, but I, I think the CMS matters less from the perspective that there's just tons of other things that you're doing when you're building stuff with mm -hmm. front-end frameworks and, and Docker and Alpine this and Sprig that. And all of that can work pretty much anywhere, not just you could swap out the CMS. Uh, Patrick is doing a lot with Nuxt and he's using Craft as a backend now, but he might use something else as a backend later. And it just makes sense to talk about everything everything in general and the stuff that, that we're interested in. No shortage of material. Yeah, yeah, and I appreciate that you cover a wide range of tools because, you know, Andrew, like you're always saying, you know, it's the right tool for the job. You can't just sit down to every job with the same set of tools and expect it to go the same way. You kind of, you need, some jobs require craft commerce and some jobs require GraphQL and it really varies wildly depending on your context. And so I, I do appreciate from an outsider perspective that, that DevMode FM covers this wide variety of topics. But as 
as a craft user, I do appreciate that it starts with a foundation in craft and sort of goes from there. <laughs> Lindsay, I was bracing for it. You were leading into it and you said, I'm, I appreciate that you <laughs> cover a wide range of tools. And I thought you were going to go because you're a gi- <laughs> <laughs> you're going to say because you're a giant toolbox. Oh, yeah, <laughs> I was waiting to use that. Uh, yeah, we were going to work up to that. Yeah, to, oh, okay. I thought you're. Tool. <laughs> I, I thought that was coming right now. Okay, it's a giant tool bag. Tool Whatever. bag. Is that what it was? You, you can still use it, Matt, because a lot of people don't know what we're talking about. Uh, I, in fact, I barely know what we're talking about. <laughs> I will probably get cut. But one, a, a reviewer uh, at every, at the end of every episode, uh, there's a request to leave a leave a review uh, about how you feel about the show. And and somebody referred to Andrew Welch as a giant tool bag. And <laughs> as I told Andrew, I, I love that because to me, it it, uh, it explains the duality of, of Andrew Welch as I see him. It has uh, an element of truth to it. Yeah. Yeah. It works wow. on so many levels. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I just have I've been tickled by that and eager to use it. But. All right. So we're going to be fair and I'm going to read it in its full glory. Okay. We're not just going to paraphrase <laughs> it. Yeah. So this is from... A-L-L-D-L-L says, <laughs> almost great three-star review. This would be such an amazing podcast if someone would boot Andrew Welch from his sh- from the show. <laughs> his, <laughs> hold on. his antagonistic ranting constantly pulls the conversation away from the guests and other contributors in such an off-putting way. Such a shame that the other amazing people on his show are overshadowed by <laughs> such a giant tool bag. <laughs> There you go. There's my dramatic reading. You're full of useful tools. And so that's that's what got you up to three stars. (laughs) (laughs) Let's see, we have four four ratings over... What has this been? Two years? Three? How many? No, it's weird. So there actually are like twenty-seven ratings, but what they did is they made it so that well, those ratings um, were reviews, se- right? They separated it by country. Oh. So now, yeah, they and it really sucks. So if anyone wants to leave a review, even if you want to call me a giant tool bag, <laughs> please go to the Apple Podcast and do a rating, do a review, like put put up whatever there, whatever there you want. You know? Are you sure so about that? that? Twenty-seven ratings. That's people that have left a star review, and you can do that easily. But writing a review is a there's a review and a rating no um, they trust me they're more because like ben croker left one right ben and I he did. said it only shows up in austria yeah yeah, yeah. okay yeah mm. so but you did yeah. call andrew a tool bag right yeah oh yeah in, we, in have four, we have four yeah. reviews here in, in the u.s okay. and one of them is one of them well, is from that, your brother that post yeah. that post was actually from patrick and it was his attempt <laughs> at an at an insurrection <laughs> he was he wanted the the everything the vote to be recounted is his shot at an insurrection is what this i think it podcast was, was stolen from me there was mm-hmm. fraud podcast about windows stop the dynamic steel. link libraries yeah but to address the reviewers concerns from the get-go the idea behind this podcast was if we all went to a bar and had a beer and started talking tech that's what it was going to be so i wanted it to be conversational so yeah if there are times when it sounds like someone is rambling or my eyes are starting to glaze over i, I will interrupt and make it more conversational and i i also intentionally do the same thing with trying to make it humorous and i get it both of these things are a little bit dicey to do and they don't always work but that's kind of what we're going for so it's not it's actually done intentionally i don't know if that makes it worse or not wait so how did tell me how patrick got involved because you so andrew you left the well not left per se but you decided to start off dev mode fm and so you're like i need a crew and then you're all like danny ocean out here like (laughs) rallying a team of people and why'd you go to patrick so it was just people I knew, people that I talked to anyway. And I just said, hey, are you interested in maybe doing this? And we actually brought in a number of people to work on it. But it really was just people that I was talking to every day anyway. So I was comfortable with them. I knew them. And, you know, just wanted to see if they'd be interested in, in doing something. It's really all it was. Yeah, I mean, we've both been very active early on in Craft Slack. And it's kind of where Andrew really got known. And I, I used to be much more active on there. I've never quite taken to Discord. I don't know. But yeah, we go along well and met for the first time at Piers. It was what whichever one was when Craft Commerce was out and Luke was doing a kind of a walkthrough of commerce. Yeah. And, and pretty soon after, I think it was maybe at that same Piers, where, or maybe it was the year after we're uh, talking about starting a podcast together. And how, how many co-hosts do you have? Because <laughs> it's a lot, right? It's a lot. How many co-hosts do you have? <laughs> and, and I would love to know for the listeners if it's confusing. Like you never know who's going to be the host or the guest and coming into every episode. Yeah. I don't know if there's an official list of co-hosts. This point, there is. There. If you go to the about page, 
Okay. So, I mean, I, I would say, from my perspective anyway, I would say that Patrick and I are the co-hosts of the show. And everyone else, we love to have them come on whenever they want to come on. And it's sort of like a hippie commune kind of thing. <laughs> we, we let people know that it's happening. And if they want to come on, they can come on. And if they don't want to come on, then they don't come on. But yeah, if you go to devmo.fm slash about, you'll see everyone who's on there. And yeah, I'm looking at all the faces there. There are some people I wish would come on more often, but it's whatever they want to do. You give, know? give a rundown. Give Give some quick shout outs here. All right. So reading down, I'm going to skip myself and Patrick. We've got Jonathan Melville. We've got Michael Rogg. We've got Earl Johnston. We've got Marion Nulevent. We've got Lauren Dorman, Matt Stein, and Jennifer Blumberg. Team of all-stars. You're you're saying that whichever devmo.fm episode you listen to, you're going to get a tool bag, whether you like it or not. (laughs) You you have to have somewhere to put your tools. (laughs) Right. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. So I don't want to dwell too much on uh, the the tool bag situation, but uh, I want to take <laughs> us not, back in care. time a bit because Andrew, you have quite a history, and we've met in person. You've told me a few stories in the bar, and I've oh, heard since. <laughs> Was but, I drunk? This could be bad. <laughs> so I want to take you back a bit, but for for anyone who doesn't know, I listened to I, I did some research today, believe it or not, on you, which sounds very <laughs> stocky. But I listened mm. to a conference talk from 2019 given in PAA. Australia conference. I don't actually know what it was about, but the speaker was talking about you and your company, Ambrosia Software, and everything that you did from from the age of, I think he started off from 12 or 13 when you were designing fonts. And then he was reading off a few of the games that you and your company had developed. And I kid you not, there were people in the crowd cheering to these names that I'd never heard before. And it sounded like, uh, oh, and he referred to you as, he said, the people of Ambrosia Software were rock stars, heroes. That's how determined he was. <laughs> so, oh my goodness. So, so without boosting your ego too much, Andrew, can you like take us back a bit and like, because I think many people just assume that you've always been in web development, uh, but as you've many times said, you haven't. It's only been, what, four no. or five years or so. So Well, yeah, and, and you're on your 107th studio. <laughs> <laughs> It took 106 of them to get it right. Mm-hmm. So what was what was Studio One? Was that the typography studio? Or what, how did you get into this whole you know technology thing? I guess the way that I got started with it is my dad owned his own corporate marketing and communications company, which is basically business-to-business advertising and communication type stuff. Mm-hmm. And they had those big old typography books. I don't know if anyone remembers, but back before computers were really a thing in desktop publishing, they had typography books that you would get from the various foundries. What's a book? they would use yeah, exactly <laughs> but you would you would flip through them to find the typeface that you wanted and they, they would actually get to lay them out by hand it's it crazy the way that you, they used to do it and i saw those and I decided to start trying to design some typefaces myself on my computer because I had seen that there were some people had made some dot matrix typefaces and they had sold well and they're really popular and everything. So I started designing some typefaces. One of them was called Palencia and another was called Alderney. And those are the two, those were the two kind of most popular ones. I think you might actually hit a Google search with one of them. <laughs> and also I did a pro font, which actually still lives on today. So I did a programmer's font, which was, it had slashed zero and it basically made the L's, the ones, and the uppercase I's distinct. I think it was one of the first actually fonts that was designed for programmers, at least as far as I know. But anyway, I started doing that and then I wanted to have some way to sell this thing. So I wanted to have some way to sell it online. And I had seen that the documentation was separated from the fonts in a lot of places. So people would just download the font and then have no idea that they should actually pay for it. So what I did is I learned, I think it was Pascal at the time. So I self-taught Pascal and I used, I think there were called Think Lightning Pascal or something like that. And I built like a shell around the typefaces so that what you downloaded, as soon as you ran it, you would get the documentation and you had to to click a button to pull the font out. So it was a way to like keep everything together. And I want to say it was... I don't know. It was maybe like 15 or something like that. And that's how I got started doing that. And I, I started getting checks from around the world. And I just thought it was awesome. This is like pre-internet doing anything. How yeah. did you go from, first of all, I didn't know it was normal for 15-year-olds back in the 60s or 70s. I don't know when you grew up. <laughs> to, be, to, be designing, oh, wow. to be designing fonts. <laughs> 
But how did you go from seeing this font book to designing, not to designing fonts, but then you, okay, I can see how you saw the book and you started creating your own, but then to selling them on the internet? I mean, I joke with the 70s thing, but I assume this was back in the 90s or early 2000s. No, it was in the 80s. It was in the 80s. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah it was in the 80s. So what do, you mean, what do you mean selling online? Please help me understand selling well, online this in was, the 80s. Well, it's funny, so, or everything's old is new again or whatever it is. So at the time, we just called it shareware, where you put it out there into the world and you said, hey, if you like this, please send me a check. And of course, lots of people wouldn't do it, but there's a decent number of people that would do it. I even had, like, I had some semi-famous or actually famous people send me stuff. Like, what's that guy's name? Townsend from the uh, from the Who? What's his name? Oh, Pete Townsend. Townsend. Pete Townsend. Yeah, he, he sent me an autographed copy of his book, Horse's Head and some other stuff. And what? I got, I got, <laughs> Oh, yeah. And, and you guys remember Michael Crichton, the guy who did yeah, uh, Jurassic Park. Oh, yeah. He was a big fan, too. Like, he he bought a bunch of stuff. and what? But this was... So, I, I mean... I assume you mean, you know, you had this little text, send, please send a check to 15-year-old mm-hmm. Andrew Welsh at this address. No, no. They didn't know I was 15. So that's what it wrote. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Andrew Welsh at this address yeah. in, some tech, in some text file or in, in, the, in the license or in the copyright or somewhere. And, in the in the docs, and people yeah. did it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ah, yeah, in the docs. So you were already documenting because I think that that could be and, a and differentiator, the- I assume, or. Or was that right. the, and, yeah. the key thing? Well, I don't like remember I said, docs whole, back in shareware times. Right. And, and like I said, the whole reason I learned how to program is I wanted to create documentation that whenever someone downloaded my font, they they had to open the documentation before they could get the font because mm-hmm. the font was embedded in the application. And the application was kind of like a self-executing reader for the documentation. So imagine you see this font and you see people saying, this is good. You download it. You double click on it to decompress it. And then you double click on the little app that you get and the documentation opens. And that's where it talks about the fact that it's not free and documents how to use it. And then there's a little button or menu item to extract the font from that. And that was kind of how the whole thing worked. But yeah, it was it was documentation first and it was programming learned in order so that I could wrap the thing that I built in some kind of a document reader shell kind of thing. So it went from I want to design fonts to I want to distribute these fonts to maybe some people will pay me to let me learn how to program so that I can create this little wrapper so that people can read the documentation, figure out how to install and use these fonts and then obviously see, you know, who who it's been created by and what the terms of the license are. Yeah, you got it. So how did that lead into Ambrosia? So <laughs> I was just telling my son this the other day because it's kind of funny because I'm not very artistic. But the expression back then was on the Internet, no one knows you're a dog. The idea being like no, no nobody knows you could be anybody. So you can represent yourself in, in any way that you want. And back then I wasn't on the Internet, quote unquote. It was um, through America Online. OK, this is where all this stuff was done. And, and later. Later on, we actually had our own company forum on America <laughs> Online, like the whole thing. Do you have a keyword? Uh, yeah, yeah. Keyword Ambrosia. Keyword Ambrosia, yeah. baby. I need some um, keyword now. But so I needed a company name. So I wanted to represent myself in some way. And I was trying to come up with a company name. I couldn't think of anything. I'm, I'm 14, 15. I don't know what the hell's going on. And I managed to draw something that I thought looked kind of good. It kind of looked like three of the obelisks from 2010 Space Odyssey kind of turned, turned on their side and made italic. And it was three marks, basically, was the logo. And I thought it looked kind of cool. So then I named the company Mark Three Software because I made a logo that was three remarks. Right? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's so dumb, but it's true. Oh my God. And then this is, this is my pride and joy. This is my crowning achievement in life. Okay. Here I am. I'm a 15 year old kid. I got a letter from General Electric's attorneys. Okay. <laughs> and it, it was a very sternly worded letter saying, you know, cease and desist using the, our trademark Mark three. It was a, an operating system that General <laughs> Electric used for one of their mainframe computers. And I just thought it was hilarious, man, because I'm like this little, Little kids, this little kid designing Mac fonts, and General Electric's lawyers are. I'm on their radar apparently, and they're they're sending me cease and desist letters. That's incredible. You're like the bearded Doogie Howser of of tech. <laughs> Much lazier than Doogie Howser. Actually, um, the movie Hackers was actually about Andrew. Right. Right. No, but it, but anyway, I I thought that was great because this huge company was threatening me. So then I was like, okay, I'll come up with something else. And at the time, I was into kind of Greek mythology and the the Greek gods on Mount Olympus, they drank nectar and they ate ambrosia. So I'm like, okay, I'll name it that. And then I started collaborating with a guy named Mark Lewis online. And he actually designed the ambrosia logo for me, which was, he did an amazing job with it. And it's funny, man, I I worked with him for 
years and never met them. And same with a whole bunch of other people back then. Just never met any of these people. Yeah. So Patrick, you're old enough to know what an AOL keyword was. Oh, of course. Yeah. I mean, I was, I, I just looked, Um, I have a, a home server with all my home movies. 1989. Yeah. I was running around in Nintendo Power pajamas. Like, uh... yeah, Nintendo Power. <laughs> oh, yeah. I love that magazine. Oh, I was, oh, I love that magazine. Yeah. Oh, I remember AOL. I mean, I still remember the first time I really was exposed to the internet. It was, we were at a, a friend of the family and I don't know, the parents were all going to be hanging out and they just stuck me upstairs on a computer and said, here, you can play with AOL. And I was just hooked. I, and this person, this is actually the person that had an AOL keyword. He was a, uh, I think he was actually syndicated nationally. He was an astrologist and Cosmic Muffin was his kind of a, his keyword on AOL. <laughs> I, I got to give you some advice as a child, stay away from him. <laughs> no, he, he was a wonderful person. He actually passed away. So yeah, good, good job, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> no, but he was uh, honestly a really cool person. They just, I just spent the whole night just bobbing around from keyword to keyword. I wasn't even looking at the web then, but chat rooms and all that. And yeah, luckily nothing seedy. I love the internet from the first time I had it. I, I still remember being in maybe sixth or seventh grade and creating my first quote unquote website. It was on Angel Fire. Nice. Oh, yeah. yeah it, and uh, I was in some sort of a production, like a not a school play, but like a summer play that was being put on in the town. And on the back page on the program, I, I linked to my angelfire.com slash, I don't know, Nintendo dude or something like to read more about me. It was literally one of the first times I'd ever seen a website being used for any sort of personal, like read my profile thing. Uh, I was before my time. So if there's any distance between, you know, Ninja Turtle PJs and mildly geeky, assuming those are those are separate endeavors, how did you get from, from one to the other? That's funny. So yeah, I, I, I was into the web really early on. I had a HTML and CSS for dummies and was really into it. But then for a long time, I really had no real connection to creating on the web or building or coding on the web. Went to Boston University. I was a computer science major at first, but so much of it is, as Andrew can guess, like WebAssembly was just too down in the nitty gritty for me, for me to want to be interested. I had no interest learning about linked lists and pointers and all that stuff. I just wanted to build stuff. Ooh, yeah. and, <laughs> and I just couldn't stay into it. And, you know, they would teach theory in the classroom, but then the homework would be in code. And I, I was never great at making that connection. So I really kind of, I switched majors. I became an economics major. Luckily, though, but partway through my time at university, I had a family member who worked at Bank Boston, soon to be Bank of America. Or I guess it was Fleet, actually, at that point. It's been bought so many times before it became Bank of America. And they needed someone to work on their HR intranet and someone that could edit HTML. And I said, oh, I can do that. It was a great little gig in downtown Boston. Boston for me. I was making $11 an hour, which I thought was so much money. This was maybe 2003, 2004. And by the time I was done there, I was making $20 an hour. And I was doing, and I just kind of kept on growing. It started out just being kind of a content manager, almost like if you were working with a client, you had their person who manages content in a CMS. I ended up getting much more involved though in database stuff, getting learning MS SQL Server, just kept on growing. And actually at one point they, they wanted me to move down to Charlotte, which, you know, is where so much of Bank of America is. And yeah, it wasn't for me. Like I wasn't ready to leave the Boston area. Did you run afoul of the dress code? <laughs> <laughs> Wearing your Ninja PJ, Ninja Turtle PJs? No, to the did, uh, oh gosh, I had no, I, I, I didn't really think about the clothing I wore probably until at least my early thirties. Like my wife is a good woman. Um, the the yeah. PJ guy's too good for Charlotte. <laughs> I was going to say, and if my webcam was on, I do have a big giant Mario behind me. Yeah, I, I got involved like kind of from my time in the HR side, I moved to a couple of HRIF positions, just doing like information services behind HR, mostly on the database side, specking out systems, coming up pension calculators and pension feeds. It was not really exciting stuff, but it was at least more tied to what I wanted to get into. I then, gosh, this would have been maybe 2008, 2009, was talking to a headhunter who said, you know, you should really like work at a startup, work at somewhere small. You've been working on these big companies. And I ended up uh, working for an agency, Valier, really, really impressive site core agency just outside Boston and started doing work for them, mostly running specs, but eventually expanding into user experience. I am someone who has almost no tolerance for being annoyed at things. They just drive me crazy and it becomes all I can focus on, which works really well for user experience. Something that someone might like pass out as, oh, it's annoying, but whatever, will drive me crazy. 
easy. And I know that if someone's not technical and they are in there trying to use a website, it's really going to drive them crazy when they, they don't understand how it works. So I you know, got into UX and wireframes, and this is where the mildly geeky comes in, trying to say that you know I'm technically geeky, but only mildly geeky. There's also a UX side to me. Yes, I was there for a while. I was at Boston Interactive, another place here in the area. And then I kind of got tired of just being involved in the wireframes and sometimes in designs and then seeing it go off to dev and maybe be different than how I thought it could or just wanted to be more involved in actually building the thing. So Miley Geeky is my Twitter handle. And I was like, oh, if I do freelancing, this could be a fun company name. Started to do that on the side in maybe 2011, late 2011. And by early 2013, I kind of had enough money saved up. And I've been doing Expression Engine in my free time quite a bit. I came in around in Expression Engine, maybe 2.5 or something. And by early 2013, I, I was doing full time. I left those that last company was doing Expression Engine, later some Drupal. And then that fall did my first craft CMS site, maybe it's craft 1.3 for about so eight years since. Admit it, Patrick, mildly geeky is just a more mature way of saying ninja boy. <laughs> it is. I still remember it. Valir, a really great guy there, Dave, said, he's like, oh, if you ever become big and successful, you're going to have to change that name, Miley Geeky. And I'm like, eh, I think I like the name. I think I'm going to keep it. And I've talked to him since. I think it's good. I think it's good. It, yeah. it works. Yeah. I like the duality, Patrick. It's it's Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles in front, My Little Pony in the rear. I like it. Hmm. <laughs> 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 I don't know how to respond to that. <laughs> That's legit. <laughs> So I was going to go off on a tangent and say, so Patrick, you just dropped that you got involved with craft around craft one point something, mm-hmm. right? I remember when it was blocks, but I didn't actually play with blocks, but I was using it early enough that I still have a license that was like package based where you pay separately for the CMS, Ooh. for the branding, for multi-user. I can't remember. There's a whole bunch of stuff that was like all a la carte. That. Yep. Yeah. If you wanted user abilities, you bought a package. If you wanted asset abilities, mm-hmm. you bought Remember, package. Yeah. You know, yeah. Matrix came out maybe in 1.2 or 1.3. Yep. I still remember when that pre-Matrix. Yeah. That and that was like the giant deal at the time. Yeah. Yeah. And then Matrix. And then, yeah. Matrix and Matrix was just around the corner. <laughs> always. <laughs> always just around the corner. <laughs> so close. <laughs> one day. One day. And then Andrew, you got involved a little later in Craft 2. Was it Craft 2 already when you, you got involved? It was at least Craft 2. I, I want to say it was almost Craft 2.5, but I could be wrong. I don't I don't Really remember but then by the time three rolled around i think everybody and that was and craft so craft three was april 2018 and by then all of us were in full force yeah and craft, yeah. craft 2.5 was the big control panel redesign so i think you were involved a good bit earlier than that andrew you were probably 2.3 could be yeah did andrew did you start with craft work or were you just speed shaming and then and then got into craft work <laughs> as a result of that no you got okay so a couple of things. So first of all, the, the whole speed shaming thing. I, I come from a, a software development background where performance was a huge deal in terms of developing stuff. So when I came to start doing stuff on the web, I'm like, oh, it must be a huge deal here too. And then I look around and I'm like, wow, nobody seems to care. <laughs> like, and I was shocked. I was shocked that nobody seemed to care. But also I, I went to school for photography in college. And what they would do every couple of weeks is they would put everyone's work up on the board and everyone would tear it to shreds. And this was a, like a normal thing to me. And it, it wasn't done maliciously. It was done in the spirit of, well, that's cool, but here's what you could do better. You know, that type of thing. So that's that's where I'm coming from on it. I've come to realize that a lot of people are not coming from the same place I am. So that's fine. Now they can pay me if they want their, their website to be audited for speed. <laughs> right, because um, you, you came from a different world to this world of web development. And you were thinking of the, the things that you had to, to uh, consider in that world of software development and very low level programming. And then those obvious questions were kind of just, there, there was a big void or there was somewhat of a void. Yeah, but but the, I, I just the, want to take us back a little bit because I think I don't want to fill in all of the puzzle, but just a few more pieces. So if we can go back to just Ambrosia, because we were talking about a 15 year old distributing shareware, and then yeah. you came up with this uh, brand name Ambrosia. Mm-hmm. And then as you already said, we you started, well, you didn't say, but as I mentioned, you started building games on Apple. And then you're talking about all this uh, low level programming that you did. So mm-hmm. how we, we kind of have heard the story of how you got into web development, you helped a friend with a website. But up until that point, your company was obviously quite successful, and I assume growing at a steady rate. So yep. take us back to there to, to, to the team and the kind of projects you were doing and how you were running your company. So I've always been a weird mix of both lazy and ambitious. So... <laughs> 
<laughs> we originally, I started working on some of the games and stuff in college, got out of college and decided to found the company because I wasn't really that great at photography. And I also happened to know this guy named Rick Smolin at the time who he did uh, some of the day in the life books. There were these big tabletop books. He did one called Alice to Ocean, which is where he followed a woman who went from Alice Springs all the way to the coast in Australia, like through all the outback and everything. With And it was just the photographer, which was him, Rick Smolin, her and the camels. And she hated him when he was on the whole trip. But anyway, I knew him from the, the software that I was doing. And he came to give a speech at RIT, Rochester Institute of Technology, which is where I was studying. And we had some beers afterwards. And he's like, he's like, look, man, don't do this photography thing. He's like, I'm not saying you're not good, but you're going to end up just carrying someone's bags for years. And trust me, computers are more have more of a future in it than photojournalism does. And and man, was he right? <laughs> <You know? laughs> because the, the photojournalism business was decimated, you know, not, not too long after that. But yeah, no, so we ran a company. We usually had around a dozen, 13 people and a whole bunch of people under contract. And, you know, I ran the company for a long time. I was the driving force behind it for a long time. And then we hired on a bunch of programmers and then I became more of a manager. And I just kind of wilted. You know what I mean? I was kind of like a, a flower with no sunlight because I need to build stuff and I need to be learning stuff. And if I'm not doing that, I'm not real happy. So I kind of tuned out. Company was stu- still doing well enough that it didn't make any sense to get rid of it. But eventually things kind of deteriorated a little bit as I became less and less involved. And I just decided, you know what, if you're running your own company and you're not happy with what you're doing and you don't want to go to work every day, something's got to change. So that's when I decided I was done. And I believe me, I had done it for a long time. I mean, that company had been incorporated since 1992 or 93, something like that. But I was was using a DBA for at least five or six years or more before that. So it it was around and successful for quite some time, but it just just wasn't working. And that's pretty admirable. Like it's one thing to close something down when it's not working out, when it's failing or there's no sign of success in sight. But when you've been running a successful company for a while, that's a brave step to say, you know what, this isn't making me happy. I'm going to wind things down and start over. I I assume you had no plan or did you? I didn't really have a plan. I wouldn't say it was quite that brave. I I definitely would say that it's fair to say that it had passed its peak in terms of how well the company was doing. It certainly was still viable and still things could have been done. But at some point, you're just over it. You know what I mean? And it's, it's almost like a relationship with somebody that, yeah, okay, you could try to work on it and you could, but just at some point you just mentally need to start afresh. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what this was. That's really kind of what it was. All right. Well, I have a few questions for you because I've been hearing rumors and I thought, well, I have you on the spot here and I want to just get you to confirm or deny (laughs) these. So first one is that you had a team member who had some some weird relationship story. There was like a big scandal, even mention of a murder. Someone by the name of Hector D. Bird. Does does any of this sound familiar? Help me fill yep. in the gaps. Here. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, no, I know all about Hector. <laughs> Who's Hector? <laughs> so Hector, I for for whatever reason, I went to a pet store. I think it was a pet store. And there was an African gray parrot in there. And I'm like, oh, that sounds really cool. I could be like a pirate and I could own a parrot. That sounds awesome. (laughs) And I got a parrot and I brought him back to the office. And Hector lived in our office for a long time. And Wait, Hector was the bird? The bird. Okay. His his, his name was Hector, middle initial D, last name Bird, B-Y-R-D, Hector D. Bird. What did the the D stand for? Dumbass. (laughs) Wow. In any event, we had this bird in our office. And the the bird was, he was definitely a character, like this bird was I don't know he, he was uh, he definitely liked to learn curse words that was the only thing that he seemed to remember. And we would have this FedEx guy would come to our office all the time and he would want the bird to speak. So he would come in to deliver something every day. He'd give the bird a little peanut and he'd say, oh, he'd say something, you know, hey, Hector, Hector, hello, hello, hello. And we'd do that. He did this for like weeks. Okay. And everyone in the office was just like holding their breath because they knew the bird was just spiteful and wasn't going to say a damn thing to him, you know? And then this one day he comes in, he's like, Hector, Hector. And then the bird goes, fuck. And the whole office is busted out laughing. This poor guy. This poor guy spent weeks doing it. 
And he um, would also he would also imitate the fax machine. People would be on hold with customer service, and he would start cursing loudly. And it, we also at the time we had our ser- we had two SGI servers in our office that were linked together by a ten thousand dollar optical cable. Like I, I shit you not, it was a ten thousand dollar cable. And all of the dander and Pat- the feathers Patrick's from him, like and- Patrick's over the moon with his ten dollars an hour salary, and you're like <laughs> <laughs> ten thousand dollar cable. Yeah. <laughs> Well, this I kept this cable and I'm going to hang myself by it one day because it was one of the dumbest things I ever bought. But we had these SGI servers in our office and all of the, the dander and the feathers from the bird would get sucked into them. And on a regular basis, you had to go in there and we had to vacuum all the dander out of the servers if it stopped working. Yeah, it was not good. Andrew, I've I've heard that birds only repeat sounds and, and words that they've heard already. Do you want to, and you're talking about all this cursing. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? I'm sure that that is absolutely true. I am not the only one who is guilty of that, however. And this, this bird ended up being semi-famous mascot of our company. Like one of our games, Escape Velocity, there was a, a guy named Hector D. Bird that would come flying in. And if you didn't pay <laughs> your, your fee for the game, he would just blow you to smithereens. It was kind of funny. <laughs> but he made cameo appearances and a lot of stuff. But no, it, it really was awkward. We're doing job interviews and the bird was in my office. And I remember one time I was in, I was interviewing a woman for a position there and the bird just started going full Tourette's in just highly inappropriate <laughs> things. And it was just, it was so embarrassing. We had to leave the room and like finish the interview elsewhere. It was not, not good. Oh, I don't think I'm going to so ask what the, yeah. <laughs> what happened. Well, with the job regardless, but uh, with the, uh, with the bird in the end. Look, there is more to the story and it is actually hilarious, but I, I don't even know if I want to go in, into the details of it on the air. Well, we'll leave, leave it for another time then. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll, I'll tell it yeah. now and I'll decide whether I take it out. A few minutes later i don't think you can leave that in no yeah you gotta cut that story hilarious but you gotta cut that story (laughs) it was not good (laughs) second rumor i heard is that you used to drive a hummer and uh, that you'd take it like off-roading in all these crazy places and you'd get it stuck and then you'd have to call for help and get towed out is that true yeah there were people that they'll buy the hummer and it'll have like these chrome rims and it'll say like bob's toy and crap like that i didn't do any of that like i beat the living crap out of that thing and this was the the military style h2s like the really wide crazy looking military things and yeah we we beat the living crap out of those things there was one time that we were there was a big snowstorm up here and my buddy and i were driving around just looking for people to help out with tow straps to like tow them out and we did that a bunch and we went by a tractor trailer that was off the side of the road and he looked at me he's like should we i'm like yeah let's do it so we hooked it up and we pulled the tractor trailer out of the snow with i mean it was it was incredible and the then we were flying around in the in a empty parking lot and then there was just the, the car like shot up and whoop, whoop, bam and just smashed like that and i looked over and I'm like, what the hell was that? And we got out and looked and we had managed to get this thing up and over on a guardrail, like a <laughs> guardrail that was sitting in, in the parking lot. We managed to back it off and get it and get out of there without any any damage to it. But yeah, I mean, the, the guy that serviced the Hummer, like, <laughs> there's one time I brought it in and he, he after he was done servicing, he's like, Andrew, I, I love you because you're actually using this thing like the way that it's supposed to be used. But I just spent two hours picking seaweed out of the engine compartment. Don't do that again. <laughs> he's right. I was driving it around in a lake oh and so you traded it in for a volkswagen beetle right um i think i got an audi like an s4 oh an audi i think i got an audi s4 i must have read that incorrectly it's nevertheless a german manufacturer actually audi's owned by volkswagen these days yeah germans make some amazing cars all right last question i'm not going to even mention the time seomatic broke the internet but uh you used to say you (laughs) you said many times that you used to run marathons in a previous life and i'm wondering how many lives ago was that exactly so the roast territory like actual roast territory (laughs) for a second there i know right (laughs) well like they say if how do you know if someone's run a marathon don't worry they'll tell you right so don't worry i'll tell you the first marathon i did was i think it was in 99 maybe or 2000 something like that and it was through the redwood forest in uh, eureka california up in northern california actually beautiful place to run a marathon because you're running through these just massive trees and the air just smells amazing Indoor. and it, it was an incredible incredible experience doing that so i did the training and, and run for that and then a year 
or two later. I don't know. I have it here somewhere. I did uh, the Honolulu Marathon. And that one, I wasn't even supposed to run on that one, but there was a, a girl who had signed up to go and I said I would accompany her. And then I got shin splints doing the training. And the guy was basically just someone I talked to, a physical therapist was just like, well, nothing you can do. Just let him heal. And yeah, at the time I was lifting weights and was in good shape and everything. Not like not like now. But then we were getting ready. I, was, I said I would go with her anyway, right? Because I had already said I would go. And I just said, I'll cheer you on. You know, I just won't run it. And then there was a, like an 80 year old woman who was in this group. You know, we, you get together and you do it for a charity. I, I don't remember even the charity. I think it was a cancer charity or something. And there was an 80 year old woman who's planning to do it. And I'm just like, okay. <laughs> lady who has thrown down the gauntlet. If you're going to do it, I'm going to do it too. Um, you know, She was taunting you? She did. She taunted me. She shamed me into doing it. And I, and I ran that one even without the training. The, the biggest downside to that was you don't have the calluses built up on your legs. So I got these massive blisters. And I actually remember pulling over at like mile 18 and I went in there and I, I was slicing the, the blisters with my, uh, uh. my fingernails just to pop them open so I could finish running on it. Yeah, it was nasty. But that was a crazy race, man. I had oh, this one jerk who ran past me backwards so he ran the whole goddamn marathon <laughs> backwards and, and he passes by me and he's waving to me i just wanted to like catch up and trip him but i couldn't even catch him couldn't even catch the guy running backwards and then a, a woman was pushing a stroller with a kid in it she passed me oh this is the best though there were these three japanese guys you ever seen a traditional sumo outfit it's basically just mm-hmm. a cloth that's wrapped around your waist and then you know wrapped around your groin mm-hmm I saw three guys wearing those outfits that were running the marathon. And I'm just like, oh, you are going to regret it, gentlemen. Because one of the <laughs> one of the worst things is the friction from whatever you're wearing when you're running. Like oh, it's horrible. There was one training run that I did that I ended. It's just not uncommon either. It sounds gross, but it's not uncommon that my, my nipples were bleeding, right? Oh. From the shirt rubbing up and down like a cheese grater on it. So it's not uncommon for people to tape them down, you know? Yeah. But anyway, I, I knew these guys were in trouble. So they passed, they passed me. And then a little... A little while later, I saw them pulled over at one of those little stations on the side of the road with a guy holding a big thing of Vaseline. <laughs> these, guys, <laughs> these guys were taking the Vaseline and they were smearing it around to try. <laughs> but they, they were getting listeners. Do you think is this their first dev mode? Uh, well, uh, I, maybe their last too. Yeah, I was going to say, what percentage would you say is their last? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> He asked a question. What do you want me to do? <laughs> You're the one that chose the details. Just want to clarify that. <laughs> the details are the good part, man. You don't want to just hear, oh, yeah, I ran the marathon. You want to hear about the, the guys with the jars of Vaseline. Come on. I hope these are all projections. <laughs> <laughs> this is really just like a Tyler Durden style projection. Andrew's actually done all these things. Mm-hmm. He was the parrot making ugly comments. <laughs> <laughs> that would be really funny. <laughs> Yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> All right. Hey, Andrew, I got a weird request for you, okay? Jesus. I know that, and let's go back to the video games, because I know that you built these games for a while, and you have this like weird secret fan base, because I didn't know about any of this until it started popping up in the community, and then you'd be online, and then somebody'd be like, oh, are you, are you Andrew Welsh from Ambrosia? And you'd be like, yeah. And you'd be like, oh, this that game, what's the, what's the, what's the ma- Maelstrom? What's Maelstrom, the main game? Yeah. yeah. So Maelstrom was like super popular, apparently. And there are people in the craft community who were like, oh, I, I play that game all the time growing up and then you would say like oh you know that voice of the thing where the guy says the watch out or whatever it is and then you'd be like that was me and they'd be like no way that gets stuck in my head all the time and i'm like all right so now now that we've got you here can you give us some sound bites like like we're playing this game and like we get the real andrew welch experience that's good Oh, man. I'm going to have to try to remember some of them. I, kn- I know one of them was like a Ren and Stimpy, like, you idiot, when they, when you, whenever you got blown <laughs> up. And then for a product we had called Snaps Pro X, which was a video and image capture product. It, it, like, it was kind of like ScreenFlow, but before ScreenFlow even existed. And at one point, that was bundled on every Mac that was sold. So Apple, every Mac that they sold came with that bundled on it. Yeah. Um, but my, my voice is on there too. So whenever you would start a video recording, it would say, action, and then cut, like that. <laughs> it's so funny. Like I've met people. They're like, oh, you're the guy that did that? And I'll just be like, cut. And they'll be like, holy crap, it's actually you. <laughs> 
And, oh, there's it also goes, that's a wrap. That's the one I remember. Yeah, that's a wrap. Yep. It's hilarious. It's funny that you being like internet famous before the internet was really a thing. Yeah, this is like being big in a small town in Liechtenstein. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> it's a little Forrest Gumpy. I remember when Andrew told me about the typography and I, I just assumed it was a prank. It, it took a while. He, he got increasingly yeah, angry and had to make me. a compelling case for it. Yeah, now I do. I, told you, I remember I told you I made that pro font thing and you're like, no way. I don't yeah. believe you. Yep. Thank God there's a Wikipedia entry. Yeah, I called it pro font. <laughs> what is it called? Pro font. That's the name is pro font. Yeah. Sorry. Very creative. <laughs> I was a kid. <laughs> what do you want from me? I named the company Mark Three Software because I yeah. drew three marks. Yeah, I was like, going to say break. he was going to call it Mark Three, but then he had to create more characters. Yeah, you, you have all you have all the design skills of a software developer. <laughs> oh, <laughs> even worse. <laughs> Even worse. Now, making you know, making typography is also hard. I, I did that uh, as a school project, and it seems like well, actually it is kind of fun at first. But making the individual letter forms, okay, fine. Making them all work together harmoniously in infinite combinations is really hard work. So this was I, even I was worse, impressed. though. This was not using something like Illustrator, where you're designing the curves. This was a bitmapped editor, and I think it was called Oof. Fantastic or something like that. Oh yeah, so, I remember Fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Oof. So you would draw it like in a little bitmap editor so you would draw one size and then when you go you want to you would have to make every size that you wanted it to appear in because it wasn't vector it was bitmap so you actually had to make them so then you would make a 24 point size where you would scale up the 12.1 but then you would by hand you'd have to fix every character and every little curve like it was a serious ocd inducing festival you know how long did it take you to complete <laughs> i don't know it, I really have no idea. Speaking of, how long does it take to write a five-minute blog post? <laughs> how long does it take to read a five-minute blog post? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, the, the joke is that I think all tech articles are, there's no reason to have a read time on a tech article because you're going to be referring back to it so often. It's just meaningless. Like, what's the point? Why even have it? So that's why I just left it at five minutes. Decency is the point. You give your reader a chance to know what they're about to get into, whether they're going to settle down for a five-minute read or be stuck reading about Webpack for the next 45 minutes and then have to go to their computer because they have to try the stuff while it's still fresh in their mind, Andrew. No, it's not called decency. It's called false hope. It's just like when you told, <laughs> yes. your, just like when you, told your wife you were a nice person. Mm. It's not... <laughs> Not okay. <laughs> I never said that, and neither did anybody else. <laughs> hey, uh, should we talk about Patrick's cameo? <laughs> Do it. Wait, what is this? <laughs> I don't oh, know. Yeah, the cameo. BFFs with Laz Alonso. <laughs> I heard, I heard uh, Andrew sent you a special gift. He did. Via cameo. He, he sent me a gift to commemorate me no longer being able to bear children. Not bear children. That would be really bear children. <laughs> <laughs> no longer, eh? Tell us more, Patrick. We're learning a lot here. <laughs> no, yeah. I mean, we've got two kids and we're good with that. So, you know, yeah, it, it, this is getting really personal. Jeez. Uh, yeah. So, Andrew uh, and I are fans of the TV show The Boys. I if you call it a TV show if it's on streaming that's a good question really good yeah yeah um yeah mother's milk is the car is the actor's name on the boys and Andrew made a really awkward cameo for me a cameo if anyone doesn't know is the service where b-list or c-list uh, celebrities sorry will make a video for you for like 50 dollars or more I think you actually paid a good bit more than that didn't you yeah it was more than 50 bucks man you're generous you're very generous that that is you know one thing I'll say about Andrew is a very generous person both of this time and and you know other things I've heard about through the great fun that he's done for people in the community he is a generous person but yeah i, I got a cameo crack me up pretty hilarious I'll link to it in the show notes <laughs> 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 no, honestly, the the best part is the reaction on what's the what's the actor's name? Laz Alonso, I think. Yeah. The best part is the reaction on his face because it's almost like he didn't quite read the description before yeah. he starts going into the cameo, yeah. and then he gets like three sentences into it, and he's like, "Wait, what?" <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> priceless, priceless. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, money well spent, Andrew. <laughs> yeah, so I, weird. Think, I think the lead in the lead in setup I wrote to him was something like, "You know, my my buddy Patrick is going in to get a vasectomy." me because I want you to just, you know, let him know everything's going to be okay. But uh, he's sitting there with a pack of peas on his junk. You know, say something nice to him. <laughs> you really packed a lot into that 150 characters they give you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, each of you, I'm wondering, uh, what was your most spectacular professional failure of 2020? Oh, jeez. Um... <laughs> you can just skip it. We have, I have others. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh, go ahead, Patrick. 
<laughs> I don't know. It was a it was a good year. I, I mean, pandemic wise, it had a pretty good year. It was a little bit of a slow year, but it was a good year. I, I, biggest professional failure. I didn't take any sites down for any long amount of time. That's always good. Andrew, I mean, we know yours, but I, I don't know. I had a great year. Andrew, yeah. did you make any large gaffes? Did you take down? Let's, uh, yeah, the, let's, the biggest let's talk about that. Yeah, yeah. Hold let's, on. The let's biggest get into professional it. failure that I had in 2020 is I worked on a project with Patrick. Oh. <laughs> But maybe secondary to that would be the time that you crashed the internet with your SEOmatic plugin. Maybe we should go into detail with that one. Well, we already did a whole podcast covering it. There was a security vulnerability in it. As soon as I found out about it, I fixed it. Unfortunately, there was a regression. So it came back and then I fixed it again. And then I ended up writing tests for everything. And we ended up doing a podcast with a InfoSec guy to talk about how all that works. And if you want to know the details of it, we did a huge in-depth podcast on devmo where we we spent the entire hour going into it so i would say just listen to that and we'll link it in the show notes let, let me rephrase the question then andrew what what was the biggest thing you learned from that experience the biggest thing i learned from that experience is don't trust anything when it's coming from external user input be excruciatingly paranoid about anything where data is coming in from outside of the the trusted system and that, that is the thing that i learned and right, because that is, the, the vulnerability was actually if i remember correct it was exploited by some entering some strange characters into the url that would was not being sanitized sanitized exactly on the yeah. back end Public so it was, it was uh, one uh, of those things that you i mean as you say you fixed it once and then there was a regression and then the second time it was discovered but it's one of those things that you would never expect that someone would, would find that entry point but there are people and luckily in your case there were well luckily or unluckily i don't know there were researchers who told you about it before before the zero day so you were able to release the patch but one of the issues was that many sites uh, just hadn't updated. And if they had updated, everything would have been a-okay. So regardless of what other people should or should not have been doing in terms of updating, I still felt terrible. I mean, I really did. I feel horrible. I have been, as you guys have joked, been developing software for a very long time. Not back into the 60s, though. How dare you? Um, (laughs) And and never had anything like this happened. And I felt terrible. I felt stupid. And I wanted to do everything I could to do the right thing and fix it. And that's really the bottom line. Yeah, I feel like you you, you took the bullet for a lot of other people because I think that one of the reasons SEO was targeted is because it's so popular and being used Mm -hmm. on so many different sites that if it was any other plugin, the chances would be just as high, if not higher, of a vulnerability also being found and exploited. Uh, So I don't think that it's a reflection on you in any way. It's, if anything, a reflection on the the lessons that we can learn about security. And when something gets popular enough, then it's going to be targeted. That's just the way things work. Right. Yeah. And and you have unquestionably the most popular plugin in the plugin store. Um, and, And just before we even go off on that tangent, I will say I do think that you handled it pretty well within the context of the community. You made yourself available. You updated the plugin right away. You were very clear about what's going on. You made a podcast explaining the whole thing. So I think that you kind of did your due diligence in terms of dealing with the situation. Well, I, I tried to, but it was also a weird mix because I wasn't sure how much to disclose, not because I care about myself or looking bad or whatever, but I don't want to give info to people that would help them, you know, hack, hack stuff until mm. it's released. So it was, it was kind of a delicate balance. I do still feel like it's a reflection on me from the point of view that, yes, it was a popular plugin, so therefore it was a, a bigger target or whatever, but also some of the, you know, the part of the code that was exploited. I mean, yes, I never anticipated that that is a vector that anyone would be using, but still in retrospect, looking at it, I think it was written naively, you know, and, and you know, I, I don't feel great about that, but it is what it is. You Things happen and then you do your best to try and try and do right by it. Yeah, and live and learn, you know, and, and it's why, you know, even Craft, even Pixel and Tonic has this issue where they've had a couple of critical security vulnerabilities come up yep. and they have incorporated into their upgrade system a mechanism where you can mark something as critical. And, uh, you know, it's for this exact reason because they know nobody's perfect. Accidents happen. Brad will be the first one to tell you that the internet is held together with duct tape and bubble gum. So right. security is sometimes an illusion, but largely speaking, you do the best you can and that just has to be it. Yeah. And, and I think 
think that that's what you've gotten. So, so you know, kudos for that. It's a practice, not a feature. And Andrew exactly. handled it well in that sense. And not to make excuses, but it is true that also because of my background doing primarily iOS and app development, that's not really a thing. You don't really tend to worry too much about that because you have the thing running on their local computer. And what are you going to do unless you're writing some kind of sensitive software or something that reaches out into the, the internet and does stuff? It just doesn't really enter your conscious that that is a thing to be doing. But still, you know, I don't know. It was not a fun time. Let me put it to you that way. <laughs> but lesson learned and you have grown from it. So hopefully honestly, so. I, I think we all I honestly think the whole community kind of like got a little bit of a, a lesson there. And just in the sense of because craft is actually relatively secure compared to a lot of other compared to let's say WordPress, mm-hmm. right? Craft is extremely secure out of the box. Yep. And so there you do get a little bit of an illusion of, oh, it's perfectly secure. And it's like, no, there are still steps that you might want to take. You make sure you use a different control panel name, you know, don't stick with admin and then all these other things. But uh, the good news is craft is way better than most. So out of the box, you're actually starting from a really solid point. And it is smart, I think, even with that knowledge to go the extra mile and do these. Actually, I could throw it to Ben here to let you talk about security because oh, not even today. though craft is not today, we'll do that on another day. Even though craft starts you from a really good point, there's still work to be done for everybody. Not today. We need to talk about Patrick mildly swappy. <laughs> what is this, Patrick, about you getting an M1 so that you can watch a movie in bed with your wife? And then when you open Docker, the fan does not come on. I mean, why are you opening Docker while you're in bed with your wife? I mean, <laughs> yeah, really? The computer is not allowed in the bedroom. Uh, no, um, no, it's what, you know, when I'm, when I'm on the couch, yeah, I mean, if anyone here uses Docker and is on an Intel CPU, man, Docker on the Mac just runs your CPU all day, every day, unless you have a Mac Pro, which no one No, has. only when you're building, not no. when you're running, only when you're building. I mean, only people in the entire, you know, node modules into your context when you build. But no, I mean, I, all the time, not even on a build, but pretty much every, all the time. And I mean, I don't know, anyone else on the pod use Docker and have this with uh, any sort of Mac where the, the fan is just pegged while you're almost doing anything? Yeah, it's a hot lap. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but seriously, and I mean, I I'm not going to let you get away. It gonna... will just, it'll just churn out images all day long, just happy as a clam, just grinding okay. out every JPEG right. under the sun. Now you're just being a jerk. No, it, it, they have nothing to do with each other. I'm not going to let you get away with it, Patrick. Docker, I have I have run Docker on like a, a 2018 MacBook Pro. Mm-hmm. Fan, fans don't run. The only time the fans run is when you're building. And actually, most of that that fan running is from doing an NPM install, to be honest with you. Like, that's where a lot of it comes from. Uh, I, I found that my queue is very excitable when image optimizes on the scene and my I fans... Nothing to do with Docker. Nothing to do with Docker. All day long. Nothing uh, to do with Docker. Yeah, no, that I I got an M1 MacBook and I won't stop talking about it. It it doesn't have a fan. It runs insanely quickly. Yeah, it, if you have the money for it, or if you're looking at your MacBook and thinking, oh, I just bought it a year ago or two, all those Intel MacBooks are dropping in value quickly, and you could probably get a much faster computer for less money than your depreciating Intel MacBook. Um, highly recommend them. What did you have to do about an hour and twenty minutes ago, Patrick? I don't think that had any. I think that was Zencaster. <laughs> I think that was WebAssembly. No, I, I rebooted because. Because I could not figure out why I was swap? having audio issues, but it was not because just of swap. It was not because of swap. Oh, he said it was very concerned about swap swap files and swapper. And he comes from another generation. He remembers and having to manage your uh, oh. high memory. Um, no, I mean, I, you know, back in back in Andrew's day, they actually had to swap RAM by hand. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and it was under the saddle. It was under the saddle. I remember having to pay $200 to get an extra four megabytes of RAM in my old (laughs) six. Lindsay, you have no idea how you're not, you're actually not far off because one of the original Macs that I would, that I had, this is before they had hard drives, okay? You would boot it from a floppy, but there wasn't that much space on it. So you would have to put in the, the disk that had the application and then it would need something from the system and it would eject the one that had the application and you'd have to stick the one that had the system 
something back in it. And a lot of wow. times, like starting it up, you would have to do this like 20 or 30 times before the thing would actually start up. You're just cycling between two floppy disks yeah. to get your computer going. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Brutal. Yeah. I don't know. I think I sense some jealousy in Andrew's voice. Oh, he, he's just looking at that Mac Pro he purchased and oh. just a little bit sad by the fact that single thread, at least, my little MacBook Air runs circles around it. Uh, 16 gigs is not enough RAM for me in the way that I work. If it is for you, then that's fantastic. But <laughs> I think I'm waiting for them right. to come out with an M2 or whatever they're going to call it, MacBook Pro with 64 gigs. And once they do, I'll be very interested. You'd be very surprised at, at what this thing can handle. Make sure you reboot, though. <laughs> and in the meantime, enjoy your gasoline-powered 84-core monstrosity. <laughs> That's melting the planet. <laughs> Whatever. All right. I think we're getting close to the end, and I, I want to take this opportunity to try a, a little roast, if that's okay. I'm, I'm going yeah, to... I'm just going to do it. I thought we were Wait, already doing just, that. You're starting the roast? No. What were we doing? <laughs> It's going to get worse. Andrew, you're so old. (laughs) For anyone who's never met Andrew actually in person, Andrew is so old. No, Andrew looks like a retired WWF wrestler and he's not actually too far off. Because when Andrew throws his weight around the Craft Discord channel, profanities are thrown and shit really starts to happen. But I don't want Andrew to steal the show. Not that that would be something new. Patrick, Patrick, you <laughs> remind me. You remind me of Robin from, from Batman and Robin. Not just because of your boyish voice, but because oh no. you're such a great sidekick on the show. But unlike Robin, who can scale buildings, you've barely been able to scale your build process to something that even closely resembles a modern oh. web development setup. Oh my build God. process burns. <laughs> kid is just fine. This whole I will say that Robin, Robin looks better in tights than, than Patrick does. <laughs> <True>. Ninja Boy. <laughs> well, that about wraps it up for another episode oh. of the devmo.fm podcast. If you enjoy the show, be sure to subscribe, tell a friend, or leave us a polite review. For the devmo.fm podcast, I'm Ben Croker. I'm Lindsay DiLoretto. And I'm Matt Stein. And thank you both, Andrew Welsh. And Patrick Harrington for being great sports. Thank you, Ben. You're welcome, Ben. (laughs) And we'll see you next time. Yeah, 100 episodes. Great job, guys. Yeah. Thank you for everything you've done to the for the community. All that episode. To the community. where that guy went off on me and started started cursing me out for (laughs) trying to help him. And by the way, I'm not a retired WWE. I'm an off-season bodybuilder, okay? (laughs) That's a long season. like a young Andre the Giant. (laughs) (laughs) We're way way off-season. All right, stopping the recording now.